And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Happy, uh, what is today, Tuesday night to everyone. Hope you are well and rested after a uh, busy few days here about the uh, NFL draft. The Commanders, of course, made seven picks, starting with cornerback Emmanuel Forbes. They've added... Uh, some undrafted free agents as well. I, I wrote about that on The Athletic. It'll be up on Wednesday. I'll talk a little bit about that now in a moment. But that is not the highlight of this episode. We've got a deep, deep dive into everything the Commanders just did in this draft, things they didn't do, and what it means for the roster going forward with the man, the myth, the legend, Logan Paulson, joins me. We talked for about an hour, I'd say, on all these things. Uh, a really interesting conversation. We talked, you know, obviously, about what he thought about certain picks. We talked about, I mentioned my my take on, or frustration, I should say, with position flex, all that talk. We'll get Logan's view on that. And we got into a bunch more, including one of the undrafted free agents that Logan knows uh, for sure. So we'll get to that in a moment here on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. And, of course, if you're not already an athletic subscriber, it would be uh, awesome if you were. I would recommend it. Um, all right, just a couple quick things here. We're waiting, of course, on some news regarding the uh, ownership sale. And I think we're going to get some quasi-incremental updates for a bit, but I still don't think we're going to get any real resolution here for another I don't even want to specify like a time because I don't want to say a week or two and then you know two weeks go by and nothing happens but I don't think we're getting anything resol- resolution today or tomorrow or or this week or anything along those lines but you know I would imagine we'll start hearing some some more details about what's to come and I still to me the big hang up for me is going to be that indemnification that Dan Snyder is looking for with regards to the various legal and financial matters that are hanging out there, including the Mary Jo White report. I don't know how the league will react to that if Dan Snyder digs in his heels, uh, but we will uh, we'll wait and see on that. Um, as far as the football team goes, I, I know we're hitting the secondary wave of free agency here at post-draft. I, I have, you know, there's, I wouldn't even say I hear rumblings about anything they are likely to do. I think for me, the key will be, what do they do in terms of the players on their own team? I think like Andrew Norwell, I think it's just a matter of time before he is released. I think Chase Ruye is a little more complicated. Possibly there's a, a, a salary reduction versus getting outright released. But when you look at, they just drafted a center, spent money on Nick Gates, Resign Tyler Larson. I don't know where the room is for Ruye. So I think when those things come into play, we may then get a better feel for what they could possibly add 
in free agency. But at the moment, I don't have any sense that like there's a big name coming here uh, or anything along those lines. I'd be happy to be surprised. Uh, I, you know, if you ask me, where do I think somebody would come in? I, I'll be curious to see, similar to what happened a couple of years uh, a couple of years ago with Charles Leno. Is there an interior offensive lineman that's out there that 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 is released? I should say that they find interesting enough to want to sign. Because to me, the left guard spot, and and Logan and I will talk about this. That's the one spot where I really have no feel that who could be the starter. I mean, we we know the names, but not like it, it's all a big a big uncertainty or big risk going with any of these names in particular. So we will see how that unfolds as for um as for the undrafted free agents um you know it's always fun to see who which of these guys will be somebody to pay attention to there is a dozen that washington announced that they have come to terms with now in terms of until until they sign their contracts which would take place presumably when they show up for rookie minicamp, nothing is official in the <clears throat> undrafted free agent market is the wild, wild west. Uh, but that said, they've got 12 names. I, I'll just be honest. I, I asked a few, you know, a couple uh, so some scouts that I've that I've dealt with in the past for their view. Both were kind of gave me some shrugs, like you know, a shrug emoji more or less about the whole group. Nothing that particularly exciting. But I will highlight two players in particular. Um, you can go read the story I have where I ranked the players in some way. You can go check that out. But two players I think that stand out to me. One is offensive lineman. Uh, oh, sorry, couldn't find his name here. Offensive lineman Mason Brooks, tackle from Mississippi. Now, part of my guess as to why do I think certain players are more interesting than others, you know, has to do with how much interest were they getting from other teams. Washington gave Brooks a $35,000 signing bonus, which is something. A lot of these guys don't get really much of anything. That was a notable uh, number. And I think that was in part because what I was told is at least five teams ranked him very high on their sort of undrafted free agent board. So who is uh, Mason Brooks? He played tackle at Mississippi last year, but really didn't play that much. What got him attention was what he did before he transferred to Mississippi when he played at Western Kentucky. See, 6'5", 302, had an, a good enough year at Western Kentucky that when he came into the SEC, mind you, uh, Phil Steele, a noted college football insider, writer, uh, you know, his previews are always, you know, things that people will, will read. He had Brooks on the fourth team All-SEC, which, again, fourth team, yeah, it's, a, you know, down there, but for a guy coming into the league, into the conference, that's a pretty good uh, scenario. Any event, he did not end up playing a lot at Mississippi, and so he really fell off the board until the during the post draft scenario. He had some impressive performances at the Hula Bowl and the East West Shrine Bowl. Teams r- reminded themselves to uh, take a look, and you know he he got you know went undrafted, sure, but he. Uh, became a priority free agent. So, you know, I don't know about making the 53, but I think he's one to keep an eye on for sure. Um, the second one I'll give you, not the quarterback. You may have heard about Tim uh, 
Demorat from Ford. I'm mean, not him, but but, I, but, I, but he's an interesting one for sure. Let's go with Casimir Allen, wide receiver, running back, and maybe most importantly for many of you, a returner. Allen had a ridiculous high school career. He played in California. He set the the state record for total touchdowns with 72. But just to be clear, that's in one season. <laughs> one season. I don't even understand how that's possible. In any event, he went to UCLA, had a lot of hype. Not only is he a good football player, but he, he, he you know, ran track, so he's got that kind of speed. It just never really worked out for him. Uh, somebody thought that maybe Chip Kelly, the, the UCLA coach, has never quite figured out how to use him. He had a better year this season, and from a returner perspective, he averaged 27 yards a kick uh, during his last two years. Now, is that enough to say, well, he may be a better returner than Dax Milne? Does that put him on the roster? Eh, not necessarily. He's five foot eight. Uh, he did, you know, did run a four four forty, which is good, but it's not like you know incredibly blinding relative to NFL speedsters. And you know, they're going to have to figure out can he do anything beyond returning kicks if they have to use him at receiver the way Washington did at times with Milne, is there something there? That will have to be seen, but I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see what he can do. And in terms of position, uh, our guy Dane Brugler listed, listed him as a wide receiver. The commanders did as well. But I know Todd McShay listed him as a running back, and he did have carries, uh, about 68 carries during his career. So could be interesting to see how he's used, especially in light of the fact that, you know, J.D. McKissick is gone. And could he be a sort of swing uh, option there? Position flex. We know how much the man in charge likes that. All right, but you can go check out the rest of the of, of the undrafted free agents and get more details on these two guys I just mentioned on the Athletic Wednesday morning. Um, and, you know, look, if you haven't already seen, uh, I have a depth chart story up on the Athletic, plus, you know, various articles wrapping up all things draft for the commander. So make sure you go check that out. Um, all right. Uh, Logan Paulson was with me. We, we went long. We talked about everything, all the draft picks and a lot of what and how the draft picks affect the roster. So let's get to it right now. Myself. Oh, and I should mention Logan Paulson. Go follow him on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. And of course, check him out on the commander site where he does a ton of fun work with Fred Smoot. So uh, let's get to it. My conversation with Logan Paulson here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right. Uh, joining us here on the podcast to break down what the commanders did in the draft and kind of where the roster is at this point is none other than the great Logan Paulson. Um, hours of sleep you got during over the past three or four days in between the late nights and breaking down tape the way that I know you have did. <laughs> It was like over, over four hours per night. It was close to four hours. I think I think maybe five. You know, I got kids too, so I got to get up early in the morning. But yeah, I was uh, I had a couple you know two a.m. kind of nights, and like as you know, like you know the pressers aren't done till late there at the park. So late nights, but um, you know just for a couple of days, so we can always survive a couple of days of not a lot of sleep. So yeah, I- I'm a historic night owl and, and not much sleep and all that stuff. But you know getting a little older and um, it's been a while since it's like back to back to back. You know, I, I always feel like I have to caveat. I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying like I was at the park 
first two nights at least past 1 a.m because i'm right. writing and transcribing and all that stuff so yeah it's a grind and i'm not even breaking down tape the way that you are um but the draft is always always a blast uh it's such a weird year this year how, how many guys i'm curious like to me this was a much more of an eye of the beholder draft yeah than in other years no i mean even starting at the very top of the draft not much consensus with what was going to happen so like how many guys did you ultimately end up studying and how much as you're watching it thinking like wow this is a really how i thought i had this guy and other ones you're like wow that's kind of surprising where a guy where a guy went yeah i mean i I watched more guys than i did this uh than i usually do just because i had access to like i started my process a little bit earlier like i started at the senior bowl watching all those guys and i started watching combine guys and so i probably ended up watching uh probably like 130 150 guys you know and um it was tough it's just a tough year for for watching film because like usually you kind of flip the tape on and there's like an obvious like kind of something catches your eye and you're like oh this guy's got it but there was a lot of kind of like um especially you know with some guys that, that Washington drafted you're like I don't necessarily see this or whatever and I'm just kind of fleshing out those evaluations just took a little bit more time than normal and um I had a, a lot of conversations with people around the NFL which kind of hashed that out even more where you call one of your buddies and he's like this is my number one tackle this is my number one receiver and then you call your next buddy and he's like oh he's like the sixth guy on my list or the seventh guy on my list so there was it just it really was kind of like the flavor you were looking for um and uh and that's a little unusual you know there's a little bit of that every year but i felt like this year it was kind of um especially so yeah and and i asked ron ron rivera about that uh, after day three and he said as much as well that it was harder to get any sort of uh vibe feeling of consensus and obviously look every any year you're gonna have some outlier opinions and look at last year right the first you know Jahan Dodson, Fedarian Mathis, Brian Robinson all were picked half round or around higher than sort of the consensus big board public big boards which doesn't mean that they're right and based on last year it looks like those guys well at least the two that played Look to be pretty good picks. Um, so that said, let's just jump into the, to this. At the 16th pick, obviously they take Emmanuel Forbes. Yeah, going into it, when you were, you know, your hopes and dreams, depending on who was on the board, did you want them to go? We kind of knew cornerback and offensive line were their two big needs, with tackle being the position you would take at 16. Were you kind of rooting for a tackle or a cornerback? there whether because you like some guy or you just recognize how the board was shaping out overall what what was your what was your want at that spot I think I probably would have gone I think I was probably rooting for tackle but just the way the board fell um you know like so just for an example like in terms of tackle evaluations like I was really high on Paris Johnson I was really high on Peter Skaronski maybe not as a tackle but I really liked him as a football player and then I kind of felt like you fell into this next tier of guys and you know, Broderick Jones, I know everyone was pretty high on him, but I, I felt like the team wouldn't be high on him. And I haven't, this is just my opinion of what they value. Only 19 starts, not a lot of position flexibility. So I, I, I didn't think the team would be super in on him. I thought there were some technical issues to his game. Um, you know, Anton Harrison, I liked a ton and was like, I was very high on, but, you know, kind of struggled as a run blocker. Um, and, I, and I felt like this team wanted to establish an identity. So when you kind of weed through that process, you're like, well, it's, it's Darnell Wright at this spot. And obviously Darnell Wright went 
10 or nine to Chicago. Um, 10, I think, because they traded with Philly. So, um, you know, when he was off the board, I was kind of like, mm, you know, like it's probably not going to be an offensive lineman at 16. So that leaves cornerback. And then you kind of fall into your cornerback evaluations. And, um, you know, it is kind of an interesting group because outside of Witherspoon, there was a kind of a beauty is in the eye of the beholder situation. Um, obviously, Christian Gonzalez was kind of like everybody's darling in the offseason because his combine was awesome. Um, but like the film's just okay. Um, I heard his pre-draft process in terms of interviews, in terms of passion for football came across as kind of middling, which is, you know, that happens every single year. And um, that's information that I don't have access to all the time. And then, uh, you know, Deontay Banks was a guy that I liked quite a bit. <clears throat> and Emmanuel Forbes was kind of all in that tier. Joey Porter Jr., especially like the last week, like 10 days out, I moved him into the third tier for me, which is kind of like where he ended up going. Um and I think if you look at the those three guys, Banks, uh, Gonzalez, and Forbes, Forbes has by far the best film, and he has the best level of competition. He's the most consistent football player. And I think the only thing that I, I put Banks ahead of him just barely because I was just worried about the 166. And I know that's kind of a lame reason, but like that's the only concern that I had about it. like that's in in the of all, of all the prospects of all the cornerback process outside of Witherspoon he was the most surefire thing just based on the film they play in a system that's approximately the same as what Washington does they play off zone they play a little bit of match they um uh you know he, he the level of competition was very very high that's very important to this staff he's a three-year starter that's very important to this staff um, so he was kind of like the most surefire thing. And I, I quite frankly, I'm really happy with the pick. And, um, you know, I, I think Ron has mentioned this. They wanted to trade back out of that spot. They just couldn't find a, a dance partner. And so if he's your number one guy, which I'm totally fine with, then you got to pick him, stick and pick at 16. And I think they got a really excellent football player. You mentioned the Gonzalez, what you heard. And I'd heard after the draft, cause you're like, Hey, okay. This guy was being viewed as like a top, you know, five, six, seven pick in the whole prospect in the whole draft. How are you taking a guy at the same position over him if he's there? But I'd heard sort of the same thing about maybe not ha having the passion for football that some right. evaluators were looking for based on the pre-draft meetings. Ironically, of course, <laughs> Bill Belichick was cool with it. So we'll see how that one. Well, I think I think that's interesting because like though that's a culture that I think can can weed that out pretty quickly, you know, and um you know, he has the traits like Christian Gonzalez. He's like, he looks like when you turn on the film, he's extremely smooth. He's big. He's fast. He's never really out of phase. It never looks hard for him. But um, I don't know. Like he just like, you look at the first game last year against, uh, against Georgia. And he had a really hard time in that game against kind of top flight competition. So I totally think that, um, you know, Forbes is the right pick there from a film standpoint, from a production standpoint. I mean, obviously the interceptions, I don't love interceptions as a statistic to drive, I think that's kind of a skewed statistic, you know, sure. I think it's kind of up and down, but like, I think it's an excellent pick. And and I think you brought up something really interesting, like this, cons this idea of a consensus board or like true value. I think it's, it's unrealistic, right? It, it's really for the team to decide what they feel is most appropriate and what's the best fit for them. And like, there's so much information, like talking with a couple guys after the draft where they feel a little bit more comfortable talking. And there's so much information comes out about players. You're like, wow, like I never would have taken him or I would have really moved him down my board if I'd known that before. And they and teams have that information, you know, for months. So I think it's it, it just it, to me, it's funny when people are like are grading drafts and stuff without having a full understanding of what goes into these picks. And I I did a rant on the podcast that I put up this morning we're talking right now on monday 
um, about draft grades. And look, I, yeah. I look, we all get it. Anybody who's reasonable understands it is a massive projection because we have no idea what's going to happen. So we're grading off of assumptions. And the problem is oftentimes the people who are making those grades are making are doing it based off of their own assumptions. Or if they're not the if they're not themselves the analysts, what the Dane Brugler's our guy or Mel Kuypers said. Like, for example, Dane Brugler, our guy had um Forbes as his number 35 prospect. Sure. Mel Kuyper had him as at 17. So if you're a Mel Kuyper person, Washington did great. And if you're a yeah. Dane Brugler person, it was a big reach. Um, also, the draft ranges. I, I looked at like I looked at Kuyper, McShay, Brugler, Daniel Jeremiah, and PFF. The range on Forbes was between seventeen and thirty-five, with yeah. the other ones all in the twenties. Here's the thing: they don't have a pick after seven after sixteen. They didn't have a pick again until forty-seven. Right. So when you talk about reach, it's not like well, okay, they they get the pick again in three picks. No, no. It, they didn't. Right. So you either want this guy or you won't see him again at 47. And they did that. So we'll, we'll talk more about somebody, uh, uh, one of these guys they drafted who did seem to be picked way earlier. But I, it's just, you know, when people talk about reach, I think that's a thing to, to keep an eye on. Also, Forbes was kind of a late bloomer relative to the pre-draft process. Like, Piper sure. was on him pretty early, but otherwise I didn't hear a ton. And I didn't start talking about him here until about a week ago. When for you did you get a feel that, like, Forbes could be somebody of interest for them or that maybe he was definitively in this class or maybe he was for you this whole this whole time this this tier I mean I mean I think the first time I watched him I said I had him kind of I was like I was high I mean he's like when you watch the film he's a good football player so it's just it's literally just like the more you watch him the more you like him he's a physical tackler I think that was something that everyone was like oh he's 166 he's not that physical he's physical with receivers he's physical at the catch point he's got great anticipation he's got great feel and space and zone so there wasn't a lot to like knock him on I think the, the only things I was knocking him on was like I think he's a little bit too trigger happy he gets a little bit too aggressive at times like which at the NFL can be a little bit of an issue but then when you talk to the kid I think it just totally solidifies any evaluation because he's, you can tell he studies a lot of film. He's grounded. Football is important to him. And I will say that this, this group of this coaching staff really, really prioritize getting quality human beings in the building. And if, and you know, everyone wants to say, you know, the draft is a science. It's, it's an inexact science, right? And one of the things that I've always kind of leaned towards is you want to draft quality human beings because quality human beings and people that are passionate about football tend to develop and tend to become better pros. So, you know, when Christian Gonzalez, you know, the rumor is now that he's not that high on football or, or you know, he's, he has other interests or football is one of many things that he's interested in. Um, I know like just talking with Emmanuel Forbes, like that's what that guy bleeds is football and i think that's so important because i know that he's going to put the extra work and he's going to do the extra little stuff work the footwork after practice to make himself a better professional and so ultimately like when these are all bets i'm going to bet on that and a guy a guy with excellent film a guy with a good physicality a guy with great starting experience a guy who's played against top level competition played well against top level competition and a guy who loves football and the 166 thing you know, that maybe, maybe, maybe not. That's a huge deal. I don't think so based on how he plays. So I'm going to say, I'm going to pick that guy over the other guys on the board after all this information has come out, you know? So, so l- let me ask you about the 166, because obviously it is the number one topic with him. And yeah. we're all going to be, we're, you know, I think in- instead of asking, you know, R- Ron during training camp, how's he practicing? We're going to want to ask what's he eating, you know? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, but let me ask you, this is a practical matter. You played tight end. 
when you're in a situation where you may be going out to block, you may be taking on the cornerback, uh, you know, on a, on a run sweep or just in general some way. What does it mean? What is an offense going to look at and think this dude is 166? What are they going to do, if anything, to attack that aspect of it? And, and this is where I'm just trying to decide, like, how big of a deal is it? Because he is a willing tackler, it looks like, from what I've seen. Yeah, very willing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what, what was your what was your playing weight? Uh, my weight was uh, 270, 265. Okay, so I don't know how often the cornerback is going to be taking on the, the pulling tight end. But nonetheless, we're not pulling, but you know what I mean? But yeah. that's a hundred pound difference, and even even if he's trying to tackle Brian Robinson, that's a fifty pound, forty pound difference. Right. So, what is the what is an opposing offense going to do when they see a hundred and sixty six pound guy out there? Well, also, I think the one sixty six numbers may be a little bit exaggerated. You know, he came in for his interview uh, the day after he was picked. So, what was that Friday? And you know, he did an interview with Fred Santana and Julie. And Fred, in the off time, was like, "What do you weigh right now?" He's like, "I weigh one seventy five." And so I do think that he probably lost a bunch of weight for the combine so he could run faster, which is not unprecedented. I think he, you come in the building and you see him, you stand next to him. He's not a small man because he's, you know, he's got that six, one, six, one and a half height. Yeah. So um, in terms of weight, I think one of the things I would say is that he's a very technically sound tackler, right? He understands how to do it. He's not taking guys head up. He understands like I'm cutting the outside leg of the, of the blocker. I'm cutting the outside leg of the runner. And I will say like, when you're going to block someone in space, it's not just, Hey, let's be, be, be two Rams and run into each other full speed. It's there's a, a little bit of a chess match every single time you go out there and he's very sudden. And I think the thing that again is so important about his game is he's very aware. Like there's a couple plays on his tape where it's like a screen pass the blockers are coming out to get him and the blocker has no chance to touch him because he's triggered so quickly on the screen. He's basically past the blocker before he gets there. So his game, while physicality is an important part of football, there are other ways to overcome a lack of physicality. And I'm not saying he's not physical because I think he is physical, but he doesn't need to be this, you know, um, he doesn't need to be Christian Gonzalez when he's taken on a block because he's his diagnostic skills are so high. So hopefully that 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 skill set translates to the NFL level and he can still do that. But I also think like he does a good job of using his arm length, keeping blockers off of him. He understands when to give ground, when to take ground, when to throw a move, when to rip by a guy. And it all comes back, I think, to his diagnostic process. Like he in his interview said that, you know, he took the S2 cognition test and uh, one of the coaches mentioned that he did really well in that test. And that's one of those ones that tests like your spatial awareness and you know again the 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 data on the s2 cognition is slowly coming out so i'm not going to say like because of the s2 cognition test he's really good at this but when you watch film you see he understands space and angles really well and he diagnoses stuff really quickly so i think that's going to help him in terms of um you know his ability to kind of last in the nfl because he doesn't need to be like when you're late you need to take on blocks it is basically what I'm saying. When you're late, you got to have a big collision, and he's found a way throughout his career not to do that. And I think that's one of the reasons why. Right, and the fact that he's coming out of the SEC. I mean, not that yep. college, not that you can't be physical in any level, but the SEC is obviously the best. The, you know, the best league. He's come out of that. Didn't avoided injuries. Made all American teams. Did all the things he did. So that shows, like you say, he's got a he's got a he's got a plan. He's not just he's not just going to allow himself to get uh, yeah. crushed uh, when when going up against these guys. Um, all right, let me ask you this now. Okay, so now he's on the team, whatever it is, he's here. I, I, I remember at the owners' meeting, I asked Ron, what thinking they might take a cornerback, what is your plan at cornerback if you draft somebody relative to Kendall Fuller? Because Kendall Fuller is like 
the the slot corner was the position that they that they needed that they needed to fill. We'll get to the guy maybe who's going to do that. We know that Fuller has played slot in the past. St. Jude's did a little bit last year. Would they look to add a corner to then maybe move Fuller or St. Jude's back inside, or would they prefer to keep those guys where they are? And Rivera seemed to suggest that they would prefer to have Fuller stay where he's been. But Forbes is really an outside corner. He played it almost exclusively there. It doesn't have to be the three corners, but when they're playing together, what's your best guess now as to how they're going to deploy those guys? You know, I think everyone's everyone's been asking me this, and to me, not an original is, question. Come on. Well, no, but I'm saying like, <laughs> and, and you know, I'm sure everyone's been asking you the same thing. Yeah. The, the, the the short answer is we have no idea because like when you start doing the math on it, Benjamin St. Juice could move back to nickel, right? And Forbes could move outside. Fuller could stay outside. Danny Johnson can play the nickel, right? Like, there's so many pieces on this defense that could play that spot. Maybe it's a situation, you know, maybe on third and 10 nickel uh fuller plays the nickel and and forbes play like we don't know yet and i think they don't know yet either they don't know until they see those guys outside if i was a betting man i would say that you're probably going to put forbes outside benjamin st judas will probably stay outside and fuller will move to the nickel but i also think they've got some really good nickel players guys that are you know a little bit more for the price probably conducive to that spot and i think that's something that you got to look at that this is not only about play in a vacuum i think it's also about the the salary cap hit this year and i think if you cut kendall fuller i'm not saying they're going to do that but you save about eight million dollars in the cap so i'm not again i think kendall's an excellent football player he's an excellent guy excellent locker room guy i think they want him here but ultimately like they're gonna during otas during this offseason they're going to be making some decisions and like every year we see this right ben every year you go out and watch otas or watch training camp and you see them making these decisions and making these assessments and that's ultimately what's going to happen so even though Ron said that at the owners meeting, the situation and dynamic has changed pretty dramatically, I would say. And so now you've got to kind of reassess that. And I think they're just going to continue to reassess until they come up with the best uh, four guys in the back end of this defense. So, okay. So this is a little tough to ask because of the fact that like, you're not in the room and then, you know, you know, a lot, you have a lot of information, but you don't have all the information about these guys. As you said, I always get frustrated when I'm watching a team do go through the draft, whether it's NFL or NBA or whatever. Yeah. And like the plan is to like Daryl Morey talks about this a lot, has talked about this a lot with the way he made uh, cha- acquired players for his various teams with the Rockets or the Sixers. Get the talent, and I'll sort of figure out the rest. I don't personally love that theory. I mean, it depends on where you're talking about picking a guy. I don't love that because it seems like you can walk yourself into trouble. And maybe that's what happened with William Jackson, for example, ignoring that he maybe wasn't going to be a good fit for what they did, but they took the guy who was the best corner on the board. So that sure. makes me a little bit nervous. To that, that they wouldn't have already. I mean, even if they're not going to tell us that they don't have a like, yeah, we, this is what we're actually going to do. We're actually going to do this rather than saying, well, by August, we'll figure it out. That, that, that's my concern from the outside. Yeah, I, and I think that's a totally reasonable um, concern and criticism. But I will say, like, having been on teams, yeah. like, that's something that's very, very common, right? It's common with the O-line. It's common with the secondary. It's common with the linebackers and defensive line. Like, you just don't know how guys are going to work together till they start working together. And, like, you can have an assumption, an assertion. Like, right now, I would probably, if I'm if I'm Ron, and I'm, I'm obviously not, but if I'm Ron, I'm saying Forbes is going to start outside. Benjamin St. Juice is going to start outside. Kendall's probably going to bump inside to the nickel spot, but we also have a nice competition there in terms of pieces and and youth that can fill that out. I don't think you have to do that is what I'm saying. Like, let's say Kendall Fuller comes out. He's lost five pounds. He looks amazing in training camp. 
then obviously you have to reassess. And that's like part of the thing. You can go in with an assumption about what to do. And I, and I think, I don't think it's, um, I, I think it's very telling that every single person nationally and locally thought they were going to draft a corner and offensive lineman. It, it was a need for this team. It's an area where you can elevate this roster. And so to me, it's like they drafted the best corner on their board. Great. Good for them. And now, now this is the part where you have to kind of see how the chairs sit, right? And it's a little bit different than William Jackson the third, in my opinion, because Forbes is a much better he has a much better history of fitting in a defense like this. Right. You know, obviously he has a you know, there's there's the the the, the man thing with William Jackson the third. Forbes played a lot of zone, a lot of quarters, a lot of cover three, a lot of what they're gonna do here. Now it's not exactly the same, but you can tell that he's gonna fit well with what they do here. And you know they mentioned the testing that they put him through. They wanted to make sure that he understood kind of spatially route concepts, how to adjust, how to anticipate stuff. And that test supports that. Um, his film supports that. So I think this fit is going to be much, much better. And it, it's going to, and so now it's just about saying who are the best five, six guys to play in this back end. And that's where, that's why you have training camp. That's why you have OTAs to help kind of flesh out this evaluation. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Okay. Uh, fair, fair enough. Um, Speaking of the secondary, so in the second round, they go back to that group again with uh, Quan Martin, the safety slash nickelback from uh, Illinois. By the way, I keep saying, I mean, not that the term nickelback is unusual, but like because this guy, this is kind of what his position is. I keep saying that. And obviously, I just keep thinking of the band, even my <laughs> even, even my laptop uh, adjusted. I, I had at the N lowercase and adjusted it to a capital. I'm like, oh, God, this is a, I'm going to have to get past this. Um, when we talk about Eye of the Beholder, this is the pick above all the other ones that Washington made. Clearly, they went outside the box of what the consensus is. They pick him at 47. Here's where yeah. the, the analysts projected him. Again, just their opinions. Dane Brugler, 81. Jeremiah, 72. Kuiper, 67. McShay, 72. PFF, 94. Um, again, it's it's one thing to say, well, you picked the guy 10, 15 picks too early when you don't have another pick in between, but this one, you know, they picked the, you know, I don't know if he would have been there at 97, maybe not, probably not, but they definitely took him earlier than everybody else thought. That said, he had the the, be the best vertical leap at the combine of any player, 44 inches, a really good athlete, um, you know, a, a, a guy who, you know, they think can play that nickel spot and maybe he's ultimately the fifth defensive back more often than not. What's your evaluation of Quan Martin? I mean, that's a little bit surprising to me um, that they had him so low because when Washington was picking, he was one of three guys that I would have selected with the pick, honestly. Okay. You know, like he um, – like when you turn on the film, he needs a guy that I think is not like overly sexy. Like I think Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M was kind of everyone's darling for a while at that kind of Buffalo nickel overhang player. But what I will say is that like, you know, in talking with the defensive back coach here, you know, a couple of weeks ago, is one of the things they value is position flexibility in the back end. And Anthony Johnson is an overhang Buffalo nickel. He's not going to do anything else, right? Um, Sidney Brown from Illinois, who a guy who I absolutely loved. I loved his film. He's only kind of a Buffalo nickel box player, right? <clears throat> With limited upside as a post player, right? And so you go down the list and you say, you know, um, what's the guy's name? Brian Branch out of uh, Alabama. A lot of people thought he couldn't play in the post. And so if you're just drafting box players and position flexibility is important to you, which it is for this team, then Jertavius Martin, Quan, is the best pick at the spot, I think. Because when you watch the film, 
he plays Buffalo nickel. He plays regular nickel. He plays over the slot. He plays in the post. He plays in the split safety. And there's a couple of games where he's actually playing outside corner. And so you see the physicality when he's in the box as the Buffalo nickel. You see the movement skills when he's in the nickel, like the true nickel kind of over the slot, kind of covering a receiver. You saw that kind of extra competitiveness playing outside and you get a football player who is dynamic in all ranges. So I'm a little bit surprised, and I do think this is one of the things with the pre-draft process specifically that gets a little away from you. You know, like he's not overly tall. He's not overly heavy. Um, he plays in a system that um, obviously those defensive backs there are very, very good. But I think that, um, you know, nationally, is, it's probably easy to overlook him. Like I didn't watch him until five days out from the draft. And I just was like, I remember watching his film being like, why aren't more people talking about him, especially in the safety class? Like when you watch all these safeties, it's like a bad group of safeties. Right. And he was definitively, I would say, the best one, like the most consistent one, the most diverse one. And, um, you know, like Antonio Johnson, I thought missed too many tackles. I thought he was kind of sluggish in space. I thought he had a hard time covering true slot receivers. Like he can cover a tight end, but can he cover a true slot? And I was, and I kind of came to the question, like, I don't think he can. So I don't want him to do that on my team. Right. And then I come to Quan Martin and I'm like, this guy can literally do everything. And he's a physical tackler. He can take on guards. He can take on tight ends. He can mix it up. And, and so to me, there wasn't a lot to be like, I don't like him. I think the size is maybe a little bit of a concern. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's like 190 pounds. He's 5'11". But I think he's a fantastic football player. He's very instinctive. Um, apparently his interview process went great, you know, in terms of just high character guy leader in a, in an NFL defense with Lovey Smith who recruited him to Illinois, like, holy cow. And so to me, like the fact that this was even like a, even remotely debated after watching him, I'm a little surprised about because his film's awesome, you know, and, and like you mentioned, the combine stuff was great too. So I don't really totally get it, but again, um, you know, in this draft, especially beauty's in the eye of the beholder um okay well, well well that's that's good that's good to hear and you're right and again the safety class when i was doing my mock drafts even though i only make public the first round i do two rounds just to mm, have a fun. better to help them get a better feel for where the strengths and weaknesses are and i think i maybe only had like brian branch <laughs> in the right. first two rounds typically there maybe one other guy it was like so yeah it, 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 maybe some guys like you're saying like martin were being um overlooked everybody asks you about how you're going to use the three corners well, let me maybe I don't know if this is gonna be original, but let's try this. They use three safeties a lot, yeah, over the last couple of years. So let's just say that that's one of the looks they're going with with Martin, presumably Cam Curl and Derek Forrest out there, knowing those other two guys really well. And now Martin, how do you how would that work? Like, what would you be using those three guys at in the same in the same time, especially since Curl and Forrest also have some you know position flexibility. Yeah, I think Curl Forrest has some position flex. I think Percy Butler has position flex. I think I think what this pick does is it allows you to kind of get your best best four, best arrangement on the field. You know, I do think he can play nickel and he can play a true nickel. And like what I mean by that is like nickel is one of the hardest positions in the NFL because you have to cover and you have to tackle. You have to fit runs and you also have to fit in zone coverage as you drop out. It, it's very, very challenging. And so he's got that skill set, right? He's And I think he can do it at the NFL level. It'll be interesting to see, right? You know, where Percy Butler is probably more of a post safety. And I think DeForest, while he had a really good year last year, is probably more of a Buffalo nickel type player, right? Meaning he's going to play on first and second down in the box. And I do think there was a you know, a a thought process to limit the amount of contacts Cam Curl is getting over the course of a season. Because even though he's a big guy, like playing in the box with the big boys, 
wears on you a little bit. And I do think when you look at Forrest's build, it's a little bit more conducive to that. And, you know, I talked to the safety coach. This was, you know, almost two years ago now, but they said he had a hard time kind of feeling out that Buffalo nickel roll because everything happens so quickly. Maybe you feel now after two years in the defense that he can figure it out. So I don't know. I think the, all those things are. So basically what I'm saying is like having Quan allows you to kind of say, where do these outstanding football players fit best in the context of this defense? Cause I do think I would like probably Percy Butler and Cam Krill to be the post safeties. And then I would like Quan to probably be the nickel. And I'd like Forrest to be the Buffalo nickel just right now. Day one, I haven't, you know, obviously they have to kind of practice at those spots and fill them out. But I think that leads to a pretty dynamic group and like, Forrest next to Jamin in the box and that Cinco front, I think is is a is a pretty compelling bunch of athletes on the field. And um and that's something that that this pick allows you to do. And let's say, you know, Percy better is better at the nickel and Quan's better at the safety because of the position flex that he showed in college, you can do that. And I think that ultimately that's why I like the pick so much. It's because it it allow it's he's a good football player in his in his own right. But his addition to the group now will allow you to elevate those other pieces if utilized correctly. All right, let me ask you this. You you you're a guy that does some training. You you help some athletes do some do some uh, get ready for whatever they're trying to accomplish. Sure. I need a I don't need a trainer this minute, although I I legitimately do. I need <laughs> I need a therapist. I need a football therapist. Help me sure. out here. I think I'm being triggered, and I just used the term myself a few minutes ago. I'm being triggered now by the p- term position flexibility. Yes. I'm, I'm sick and tired yes. of talking about this. Now, so here's my question totally get it you you need to have guys who can do yeah. different things but it feels like it is prioritized almost to the degree over <laughs> just like talent like i get a guy yeah. who can play we're going to talk about the offensive lineman here we're going to get a, a can this guy play guard yes cool did you do anything else no who gives a crap can he start yeah. and same yeah. thing maybe with david so tell me am i am i being overly sensitive sounds like you don't think I, maybe i am no, no, I, I, I agree. I, th- I think with, I think in this defense with the secondary, the way they, the way they utilize those guys, I think the position flex is, is like a, unless you're playing outside corner, if you're one of those in, I kind of in the hashes players, so safety, strong safety, nickel, Buffalo, nickel, you need to be able to play all spots. So sure. I think there it's a little bit more of a relevant term. And I think, especially with this pick, because of the guys you already have, I think that adds a ton of value. Now with the offensive line specifically, um, I think position flex is important. I, I do. I think it's important. But at some point, I want a guy on this roster who has a tackle skill set, who looks and measures and runs and moves like a tackle. And that be, and and the position flexibility of that becomes a little bit less important to me. Um, obviously, that's not how they feel. And so I'm going to defer to them because they're building this team. But I, I do think on the offensive line specifically, one of the issues with position flex is that you end up with a bunch of guys who are guards. Like that's ultimately like when you like when you around like when you talk to people around the league about offensive tackles, like let's say Cosme, for example. I remember, you know, I was talking to my old line buddies, and they're like, I think he can play tackle, but I think he's gonna be an excellent guard. Right. And then Chris Paul, guard, Sadiq Charles, guard. And it, it's under the guise of position flex, but it's much harder to find the size and length to play tackle in the NFL. And that's one of the reasons why I get a like I I get a little bit frustrated because I'm like at some point you need a guy who looks like Charles Leno you know who's going to have 34 and a half inch arms he's got six five six six and he's 325 pounds like you know you need guys like that on your team because of the length and the speed and the space that they have to negotiate and we're going to talk about those picks in a second but I do think that's something that um, 
that I that again kind of gets that that gets me going a little bit is my one if I have one ilk of frustration, it's that. But I also think that the players that they did select are interesting in terms of their projection to some of those spots. So um, I'm not mad. I just like, that's one thing that kind of digs at me a little bit, you know, because of, again, I have my own biases. I have my own, you know, big board. Like you can see that when I put that out. So for me, it's, yes, I think you need position flex. It's important, but also I need guys. There's a reason you specialize. There's a reason that there's cutoffs for length and speed and weight for certain positions. You know, I don't want, you know, a, a seven foot guy playing receiver because they don't have the change of direction ability, right? Like there's right. just things that happen and are conducive to that thing. So yeah, that's my that's my two cents on that. All right. Well, good. I feel I feel better now. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay off the Prozac for today at least. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you this. I, I'm, I'm gonna uh, with your permission, I'm gonna sort of skip past Stromberg, the third round pick, only because for the for this year's purposes, I think it's pretty apparent he's like the third string center, but the long term answer. Probably unless you want to tell me you think he can compete to start with Gates and, I, and I, Larson. I think he can compete to start. He was okay. um, he was my fourth rated center and a guy that I thought was very close to being in that like, you know, Tipman, Schultz, Whipler kind of category in terms of ability to come in and play right away. You know, Ron said he thinks he can play guard. I don't know if I totally agree with that. He seems like he's a little bit too tight in the hips to be a true guard. But um, I think he's a good football player and I think he, he could potentially be the starter week one, which is why I like the pick. I really like him as a player, you know, in terms of value, I don't, I'm not a big guy in drafting centers. I'm like, if you're going to draft a center, draft a guard and teach him how to play center. I think that's the way I would go. And I played on a whole bunch of teams where that's what they did. Um, but he's a, he's an excellent football player. His tape's awesome. I think he's a good enough athlete and he's big. I think, you know, having a big center is something that they value and he definitely fits the bill there. So. Yeah. So he went 97 and looking at the consensus of the five groups I was mentioning, Two of them didn't have him in their list, which not everybody's list went out the you know, all, all the way to right. 300. But Dame Brugler had him 110, and other two were 124, 125. So, you know, 97, a tick higher. And, but like, you, and that's the other thing I wanted what to, it is. That's the other thing I wanted to bring up, too. Like, um, you know, I can't speak to the board here, but I talked to some of my other friends around the league. And when you actually get the lists, and they, they won't give you the exact list, but when they kind of say, when you bring up names to them, and they're like, oh, this guy's off our board. This guy's off our board. This guy's off our board. You got to realize there's, it's not like five people off the board. It's like probably closer to 50. Right. So, you know, he's going to, a guy who's got excellent character, you know, played in a big conference, all those different things uh, for the NFL is going to be higher than he is for the, for the media, just based on people who are taken off the board. Yeah, fair, to totally uh, fair, fair enough. So let's go to the, the fourth round pick, Braden Daniels. Yeah, very much this position flex scenario. Played tackle, played guard, played all over the place at Utah. It, you know, Ron said that when they went into the draft, they felt they had covered most of their areas pretty well in free agency. Using the analogy that when they went shopping, they weren't doing so hungry that they were already yeah. you know feeling good. Okay, that said, I still feel if I'm looking at the starting lineup for both sides of the ball. The one position I do not have a clue is who's starting, who even is a likely starter, is left guard. Sure. Because he's talking about a Chris Paul, Sadiq Charles competition. He said this at the owner's meeting. Ignore, he forgot to mention Andrew Norwell, which I'll just take as a sign that Andrew Norwell may not be long for this world here. But Andrew Norwell is still here as well. Now they draft Braden Daniels, who feels like, to your the position flex comments, feels more guardy than tackly. Um, 
I don't have a, I don't know what they're going to do. This is going to be a comp, I think a battle to watch in camp, but what yeah. do you think about Daniels and does he fit into this left guard conundrum? So I thought so, but then Ron and his presser kind of said, he thinks he's going to play more tackle and um, he's a really interesting evaluation. Brayden Daniels. I think he's a guy that, excuse me. He um, he's got this tremendous athleticism, tremendous athleticism, tremendous explosion in his hips and his hands. Um, he's a little undersized. He's six, four. I think he's two ninety five. kind of a smaller tackle guy. Um, but, you know, when I first watched him, I watched him. He's one of the first guys I watched. Um, I thought immediately guard. He has to play guard. And then I talked to some of my NFL buddies and they're like, you know, I don't think he makes it unless he's a center. And then, you know, in Ron's presser, he was like, um, you know, Travell came out and said, if we clean up, clean up, clean up some of his footwork stuff, I think he can play tackle. And I about had a conniption. I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. And he's the guy that I've watched about seven games of. And I've come around to that idea a little bit. And the reason I'm going to say that is because when you watch him, every couple of plays, he'll flash something that is truly elite at the position from a footwork standpoint, from a speed standpoint, from a power standpoint. I think the problem is that it's not overly consistent. You know what I'm saying? It's like he he's he's striking out. He hits a lot. He hits home runs, but he's also striking out a lot. Um, and I think. I see what Travell is talking about. And I've talked to Travell a couple of times. I think he's a very bright dude. I think he's a great coach. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, I was online the other day and I, I saw a crazy comp to him between Brain Daniels and Trent Williams. And I, on the surface, that seems crazy, right. right? Obviously it seems crazy, but when you see those flashes from him, it does look like that. Now there's a reason he's a fourth round pick with all of this athletic undertone. He's a little undersized, right? He's a little inconsistent, but he does have something, I say, special athletically that makes me think it's possible that he plays tackle. Now, I've talked to all my buddies, you know, that would be an outlier kind of statement, but it is there is a realm of possibility where that happens. I think it's also important to remember he doesn't have ideal length. He's got 33-inch arms, um, but his foot, his foot work is raw, but his foot speed and dexterity is very, very high, and those guys usually can play tackle in the NFL. So he's, an, he's a really interesting prospect from the athletic upside perspective. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a really interesting statement by Ron, that they, they think he's in the mix as, as uh, for the tackle competition. Um, okay, so that said, you don't have to give me a long answer on this one if you don't want, but, like, the left guard week one, is it going to be Chris Paul, Sadiq Charles, is Andrew Norwell still here? Or are they going out and signing somebody in this secondary free agent market? Yeah, I mean, I think Nick Gates kind of throws his hat there too. I don't think they want to do that, but he has played left guard. Um, Rivera seemed to indicate he wanted him to be the center. Right. Toss, yeah. And I, so I think that's another reason why the Stromberg pick is kind of interesting because Stromberg has played only center for the last two years of his career. He played a little bit of guard as a freshman, but only played center the last two years there at Arkansas. So um, to me, he's a center only in, in my mind. I know Ron said he's got position flex. Again, I don't know if I totally agree with that, but you know, I've been wrong before. Um, so I guess to me, it's, it's Chris Paul or Sadiq. And I think when you look at Sadiq, he's again, one of those guys that coming out of LSU was incredibly athletic, incredibly high upside, but just has never turned the corner. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons fans and analysts have kind of been like, man, like they need to do something different at that position because you can't trust them. And then you've got Chris Paul again, who's played one game in the NFL. Yep. And I think has upside to be sure, 
very high upside, but he's a seventh round pick. And there's the reason he's the seventh round pick is because he was crazy and consistent at Tulsa. And he still is figuring out some kind of nuances of the game. And I know he's been able to lock up uh, John Allen and pass row because he's an extremely powerful, strong man. But there is more to football than that. And so I think there's a lot of questions at the position. And, um, you know, Norwell, you know, I got to say this for my guy, Norwell. Everyone wants to crush him, but I think he was a top 40 guard in the NFL, which yeah. is not great, but not terrible. And you can live with that if you do for another year, I think. Um, I know fans won't love that, but I do think Eric Bieniemy, as the play caller, helps insulate a lot of the deficiencies with players. And I think he would understand how to speak to Noel a little bit more acutely than, you know, Matt Scow and Turner did in terms of the plays that we're asking him to run. So, you know, while that seems insane, I definitely think that's a possibility. So, you know, nothing that feels great there. You got two upside players and a guy, you know, exactly who he is. Um, so I think that'll be really interesting to watch. And I think they're banking on a lot of development from two guys. One guy I think is more likely, I think Chris Paul's more likely to develop, you know, than Sadiq because Sadiq's been here for, what is that? He got here in 2020. Four years now. And he's kind of, yeah, kind of the three guys, three years. So he's kind of the same guy he was then, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe this is the year and, you know, they say offensive linemen hit their developmental year after year three. So here we go, Sadiq, you know, let's make it happen. Cause I do think he does have tremendous upside. Like when he played against Philly in the COVID year, dominant against Fletcher Cox, but you just don't see it with enough regularity to say, I feel really good about it. Right. And, and I'm with you on Norwell. Like, look, because the, because the start of the year last year went the way that it did, everybody was getting <clears throat> crushed on the offensive line. He did throughout and, if I'm being super honest from a coverage perspective, I don't think anybody goes out of their way to say this guy stinks as like a personal agenda, but because Norwell basically did not talk to us the whole year, more or less, there's no yeah. positive mentions either. Right. And he right. wasn't doing a lot. Like nobody, there's no feel good story about here's why Andrew Norwell's a really fun guy in the locker or anything like right, that. Right, right, right. There's nothing on that to help, but I do wonder, you know, they have some other options. Chase Rue is a likely cap casualty thinking maybe some others, but I'm a little more wondering about Norwell. I said this in the media room the other day as well, that, you know, now that we see the roster, I don't know, maybe he stays. Cause it's not like they yeah. have anybody who's like a true option, a definitive option there. Yeah. Um, let's skip to some of these other guys and I'll get you out of here. I, I'm going to owe you lunch at this point already. Cause I'm already <laughs> keeping you too long, which, which is fine and reasonable. Uh, they draft two edge rushers, KJ Henry from Clemson and Andre Jones from um, Louisiana. I don't know if you, if you view, Jones is a edge or a linebacker. You can explain that in a second, but they're both are going to be two guys coming off the edge. That seemed like a position for them to to take because, well, one in more recent development, Shaka Tony is suspended for the year because of a gambling for over gambling. And then the top five defensive ends are all free agents after this year. So they needed yeah. something, even just from a purely long-term perspective um, what's your initial view of 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 these two uh, guys? Um, with Henry being the more obvious, uh, interesting one. Yeah, KJ Henry is just like a good football player. You know, he played at Clemson. Um, he has some pass rush upside. Nothing elite, but physical against the run. Uses his hands well. Um, you know, maybe not the greatest, longest athlete in the whole world, but um, I think he's a good football player. And I think you know he kind of gets lost in the shuffle there, lost in the sauce because Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy get all the headlines there, but very, very solid football player. You know, I, I kind of thought they might go the edge rusher from Georgia. Um, 
who was a little bit more athletic profile you know, he ran a four, four, he had 34 inch arms. But what I do understand is that KJ Henry is like a two-time team captain, um, been pretty fantastic in terms of his leadership role. And obviously that's something that they've prioritized for this draft class. So um, I, I think he's going to fit in nicely. He's going to be a good pro. Like, I mean, there's, you know, in terms of just like a vanilla safe pick, a guy that's going to play good football for you and be a good leader. Like, I think I love that as a fifth round pick, you know, and I think he's a guy that can grow into, you know, maybe being like a rotational starter at some point in his career. So to get that in the fifth round is pretty special. And then Andre Jones, by the way, Mel Kuyper had him as his or Daniel Jeremiah. One of them had them as his number 77 prospect overall. So if we're talking about value, this is this is one where they may have gotten some good value based on the public boards by the consensus and public boards. I kind of, kind of feels like people just forgot about him, honestly, like, cause he's a good, he's a really good football player. So I think, I think one of the things that's tough is he's like, he's kind of a funny size. He's like six, four or six, five, but like two fifty. So is he a true end or is he a true stand up linebacker? Like it, it's hard, but I think he's a good football player. Uh, Andre Jones is actually really interesting to me because when you look at his athletic profile, it, looks like he's going to be he's got the same profile as like elite edge rushers right he's 6'5 250 he's got 34 and a half inch arms which are very long arms for his frame he has he's a 98th percentile in terms of um uh wingspan which is crazy his 10 was like the top percentile one of the top percentiles for the position so even though his production maybe wasn't great level of competition wasn't great he's 25 years old um he's got this kind of analytics profile to say he's he can develop into something more which is something that i actually really like about the pick because you know they you know and they drafted james bradley king they drafted shaka tony guys with this pass rush upside but they didn't have the length they didn't have the burst that projected well to the next level and, and i think you've they've been fine kind of backup players but they i don't think they're going to be anything more than that i think this guy andre does a because of the athletic profile can project to something more as a pass rusher which i think is is what you want to do with that seventh round pick they did it last year with chris paul and i think um and they you know christian holmes like guys who athletically fit this bill and and from a measurement standpoint so i think he's a guy that i think is going to be really really interesting um you know he does drop a little bit in that defense but i think he's a little too stiff to be a true stand-up linebacker um i think he's going to be an edge and you know i think he can play linebacker in certain situations but definitely like you want him rushing the passer i think i think is, is ultimately what the conclusion i come to after watching him and we'll see what they do with him in training camp you know ron kind of said um cryptically that they have a role for him in the defense what does that role look like? I don't know. Um, because he, again, he does a good job. He has a good feel in kind of spot drop zones, but I don't know if you want him necessarily majoring in that. Like if he were to take on blocks, I mentioned the length, he does a good job of that when he's in his two point at the line of scrimmage. So can he do it? Maybe, but I think the thing he's going to impact right away is as an edge rusher, just based on the film. All right. The player they took in between the two edge rushers, Kentucky running back, Chris Rodriguez. Here's what's interesting to me. Last year when they when Brian Robinson missed the first four games and they did not run the ball much at all, especially with the interior type running, Rivera later in the year, maybe when the season ended, said that obviously Robinson's situation was incredibly unfortunate and unforeseen, but that that took away that kind of running. And my view was uh, that's the that's a that's an excuse because you still had Jonathan Williams there. You could still do it. So just do it or. If that's the case, then you better this offseason get somebody, the third running back, not a J.D. McKissick-style back, get a Brian Robinson 
type interior runner. So you can avoid this, especially when you're telling everybody you want to be a run heavy team or whatever. It feels like Chris Rodriguez is that situation based on watching the film. Doesn't ca- didn't catch many passes at all at Kentucky. What do you think of whatever I just said? And what do you think of the player? Yeah, I mean he's a he's an excellent football player. I mean he's one of my one of my favorite backs in the class. You know, I think they said they had a third round grade on him. That might be a little high for me, but I think he's def- I definitely saw him as as a as a very good football player. Um, he runs hard. He kind of explodes on contact, very similar to like Isaiah Pachenko. You know, like from Kansas City. Like you hit him, and it's like his body comes alive. Like he's been like hit with like an electric jolt, and um, he just runs hard. He's got good vision. He's got nice quick feet for a guy who's almost. 230 pounds um he catches the football well i think like it's not like he's fighting the ball like they, he caught some screens and some checkdowns and did a good job with that very similar to brian robinson last year i think a lot of people undervalued his ability to catch the football i think chris rodriguez falls in that same category and then also um i think he's very good in pass protection he's, he's got a good feel for that he's got a good feel for like how to bring his hips and explode into the rusher keep the width and depth of the pocket for the quarterback so I, I really like him. And I think one of my favorite kind of sequences was when he was playing against Mississippi State. He comes out and they're running like, a, I forget exactly what it was, maybe like an inside zone. He He's getting dragged down by this linebacker and he still is able to deliver this kind of concussive blow on the safety. The two plays later, he's in the hole, the linebacker misses him and he's one-on-one with the safety and the safety takes a creative angle. He makes a miss and he runs for 50 yards. He doesn't score a touchdown, but his short area burst is very, very high, very similar to Isaiah Pachenko. And it, to me, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's something that I've always toyed with as a kind of a thought experience. Everyone says, oh, I want a big back and a small back to kind of complement each other. But what if you just said, hey, we, we're just going to throw haymakers and we've got two big bodies and we're just going to throw those dudes into the into the teeth of your defense 30 times a game. Like that is a daunting proposition in my, in my perspective, yeah. uh, you know, so it's, it's going to be really interesting. You know, they did sign that um, gentleman from UCLA, who's kind of their returner running back receiver type guy. So maybe he fills in that role. I also think um, Ant- Antonio Gibson will be kind of more in a pass catching capacity. And so like, that's, they have three running backs who weigh over 225 pounds and are just big stocky guys. So that's a scary thing for defenses, I think. So in terms of establishing an identity as a running team, I think that that pick speaks volumes about who and what they want to be doing. All right. So because they doubled up on some of these positions, they did not draft and they traded uh, an extra pick to get to move up for KJ Henry. They did yeah. not draft a another quarterback. They didn't draft a tight end. They didn't draft a linebacker. Um, I don't think some of that was tight end. I didn't think they would, but the other two, uh, maybe. Does that, oh, any of that bother yeah. you? I mean, you can't do everything in any of your draft. Does any of that bother you? And they they are adding undrafted free agents, so they will have some, likely have some new yeah. pieces in those spots. But does that bother you at all that they didn't uh, address those spots in the draft? Um, quarterback, no, not really. I think this was kind of a down year for kind of the second wave of quarterback. And if they don't fall to you, they don't fall to you. I'm not going to like make a reach, especially when we've kind of established we really like our situation now. I think the linebacker thing is slightly concerning, but I think it's also important for people to understand that like it was a bad linebacker class. So outside of like three guys, I probably wasn't getting too fired up about any of them. And uh, so let's say five guys. So there was obviously Jack Campbell, who I I be- I thought was going to be there at 47. And I thought that could have been the pick for them at 47. But obviously he goes 18 to Detroit. Uh, Henley was another guy. Um, 
Drew Sanders, I thought was an interesting guy, but wasn't sure about the fit. And then there were the the, the kid from Texas, Overshone, and the kid from Tulsa or Tulane, Tulane. Um, yeah. Williams, who I thought really fit their kind of mold for linebacker. But those guys even went earlier than I thought. I think they went at the bottom of the third. Yeah. So kind of unexpected in terms of the range that they went. Um, and so when you kind of look at the rest of the board, it's like, well, I guess we're not picking a linebacker because I'm not really high on anybody else. I mean, Trenton Simpson, he, I think he even went in the third round. So a little bit surprising with those guys um, uh, going so high. Cause I thought, man, there's going to be a dude there, kind of a developmental guy in the fifth, sixth, seventh round that you feel good about. But you know, when you look at the players that they did get in those ranges, like KJ Henry, I think KJ Henry, excuse me, I think adds more value to your roster. Chris Rodriguez, I think is an excellent find and Andre Jones um, kind of being in the tail end there. Um, I think has got a really, really nice upside despite being 25 years old. And, you know, we we talked about Braden Daniels a lot. Um, I don't want to exclude him. I think he has a tremendously high ceiling, but also uh, a very low floor. So it'll be interesting to see where he kind of fleshes out and what what um, where he's able to get to in terms of his ability. Uh, last one for you. You mentioned you, you mentioned him tangentially here. The, one of their they have not officially announced their undrafted free agent signings um, and I've reported a bunch of them. You can see them on Twitter, but like the, this is a wild, wild West world out there. So until sure. they're, until they're signed, we'll see. Has, I think it's, if I'm saying this right, Casimir Allen, as you described the gentleman from UCLA, yeah. um, dude runs like, you know, faster than the wind. Like he's an Olympic speed level runner type guy. Uh, yeah. I've seen them running back receiver, what have you, but also a returner. I, I kept yeah. thinking they were going to draft a receiver or a running, you know, someone like that. It would be for the return position in mind. I know Dax Milne was not everybody's favorite guy. He was completely solid. He didn't have any muffs, but no real explosive, too many explosive plays either. What do you think of this guy? Since you're Mr. UCLA, to whatever degree you were aware of, of, of what he was able to do. And, and does that, was that a, a, something you thought they should look at as well? Getting perhaps another uh, return option. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, you know, I, I watched um, all of his key plays last night uh, after I saw him on your Twitter. So shout out to Ben Standing for bringing that to my attention. But um, the but he he's a guy that has a lot of explosion. He kind of reminds me of like, uh, I forget the guy's name, but the like the the Mamba that played at Oregon for a couple of years, you know, the, the little shifty running back receiver type guy. He kind of fills that role for them, uh, catches the ball okay. Definitely not like a full-time receiver, but as a running back, he just finds explosive plays plays i think if you watch the arizona state game he had three runs four runs maybe of over 60 yards you know what i mean like it was insane to watch in space making people miss thought he had but his kind of 10 short area quickness is off the chart so i think that's a really nice find um i think that's a good fit i think he can fit a role on offense potentially which is something you want from your returner um now it's just it's getting interesting about whether he does that he can produce at the nfl level and that speed and quickness shows up um because i think he ran like a 4-4 or something like that so um you know maybe not the fastest dude because everyone thought he's gonna run a 4-2 or 4-3 so a little bit slower than people thought but excellent uh athlete there you go. All right, look, to, to to go full Howard Stern here, Logan, you've said it all because I've asked you 800 questions. Uh, <laughs> go follow Logan on Twitter, Logan underscore Paulson. No, Instagram guy. I don't have Twitter Oh, Instagram. Yet. Instagram. Well, you, yeah, you mentioned Twitter. That's why I was like, I, I think Sorry, I Sorry, that's on me. me. That's, that's on no, me. No, 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 no. Well, that's on me, but I, I was like, wait, wait. Logan looked at Twitter. What's going on here? Um, Logan underscore Paulson 82 on Instagram for, of course, all his uh, breakdowns and film work. 
uh, and everything else. And of course, Logan is uh, does the Take Command podcast with Craig Hoffman, and he's literally on every show in town because everybody wants his insight on what's going on. And I'm glad uh, I got him in here before uh, the crush came. Um, any any anything else for you we need to know about or? Oh yeah, just just make sure you're checking out the Commanders YouTube page and uh, Commanders.com for more team related content. They they're doing a good job over there on the shows that I'm on. So yeah, that's the only other thing. You demand Logan. We'll talk soon. Thanks uh, for the insight. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Big thanks to Logan Paulson for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Um, you guys rule. What can I tell you? Uh, I. I uh, Look forward to chatting more uh, in the days ahead. Uh, But for now, I'm going to go eat dinner and uh, watch some NBA playoffs. So until next time, see ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.